music music definitely fuels me that was to have you there was magnificent so what fuels me what fuels us fools what fuels each of you what fuels this congregation we often ask ourselves at faithful fools what does the world need of faithful fools at this moment it's not a simple answer for you for us for me when sam proposed the question for the service today what fuels us fools i began to have a litany of names arise marcy stephen ramu carolyn Kay, odin zeus Margot, many voices, many names, Mercedes, Jimena, Ale, Sam, Carmen, Karen, all of us. I care about people, and I care about what people have to live with and navigate in this world. Anger fuels me. The anger is deep. I see the consequences of people living in poverty in Nicaragua and Venezuela, in the tenderloin of San Francisco, in many, many places throughout our world. And I know the injustices and the decisions, the racism, the theologies that keep them there. Pain and suffering fuel me. I am human. I know them. I witness them. A number of years ago, Kay and I were at an urban social justice ministry conference in Chicago. And in the workshop we were leading, we asked people, when is the first time that you felt compelled compelled to say something, to act, that you couldn't just sit there. It's like something has moved in us so strongly that we no longer can just remain quiet. Do you remember a first time or a moment, even if it wasn't the first, Does that moment fuel your own actions, your own social justice commitment in this congregation, in your lives? Having my response to Sam's question begin with people is not surprising because for me, beginning with people, I am led to places and situations and institutions into ways of thinking into systems that can both be life-enhancing and also hurt and do prolonged damage, that can exclude and dismiss people. It can dismiss individuals and whole groups of people. People I come to know and love and the relationships I hold with them 
are the fuel that sustain me. My faithfulness to the relationships calls me to pay attention, to care, to look further than the surface of something, to seek understanding. It calls me to engage and listen and to do something, to say something. Sometimes this can all take place in just an instant, and sometimes it's over a lifetime. It is often the reaction I have towards someone or something that informs me what I really care about. And very importantly, reflection fuels me. Reflection is an essential pillar in our life as faithful fools. For reflection on our words and our actions guides us through great complexities in individual lives and deeply ingrained personal and social ways. With a commitment to ongoing reflection, our actions are fueled by our mission. And with that, I ask you, Sam, what fuels you? Well, the, you know, there's something about these last couple of years. Uh, I mean, I, we all know it's the pandemic on some level, but there's something else too in these last few years that's made this question, what fuels you or what fuels me? How do you keep going? A little bit more urgent and a little bit it's a little bit harder to think about it clearly these days. I know there's a general sense of weariness in the world, you know, something a little bit, you know, like there's climate change and there's polarized politics and there are the forms of injustice that Carmen was talking about. There's the poverty and those systematic practices that constantly knock the legs out from underneath one or another of us. Sometimes it's a toxic mortgage and sometimes it's toxic water coming out of the tap. What? We think to ourselves, really? One more thing? We say that to ourselves and we try to keep on going even when our legs are just a little too weary. So that question, what fuels us, is really important right now because how you think about it and how you approach it really matters when everything seems just a little too much. Now, if you happen to meet me or be at a potluck or picnic where I'm hanging out and my sleeves are rolled up or I have a short sleeve shirt on like today, you will catch a glimpse right here of my inspiration of a certain fool whose essence keeps me going and even now and then brings a little bit of pep to my step. Almost every day, someone will walk up to me and point at my arm and say, is that, mm, I, I, right here on the tip of my mind, wait a minute, I'll get it. And then this twinkle of an eye and a smile always follows because yes, they're recognizing, just like you are, that it's Don Quixote who's there. He is on my arm where I can see him and he reminds me of what the true hero spirit really is. Now for many of you and most people in our culture, Don Quixote is that legendary figure who dreams the impossible dream. 
That's my little gift for you today. You're going to carry that song with you all day long until, as I've been told, you might find a way to sing it all the way through. That seems to be the cure for those little uh, earworms. But there he is, this Spanish landholder who goes on a wild adventure to be a knight errant with his field hand. He was like, well, was he made up or was he made famous by Don Miguel de Cervantes in the 17th century? I have no idea. But he is that literary critic character who was cast as this inspiration of dreams, and he is the one who sort of sets up the imagination as the heart of the hero, and he certainly is those things. But if you lean forward for just a moment, I will tell you what Don Quixote's real secret superpower is. He sees the best in every one of us, and he won't let us be less than that best self. You know, to his field hand who says, I can't be your squire, I don't know anything about horses. Like, I'll make a mess of it. And Don Quixote says, nonsense. You are brave and you are valiant and all the horses take one look at you and they know you're trustworthy and you will never let them down. So our little short friend Sancho squares his shoulders, draws himself up a little bit, and he enters into the adventure with Don Quixote. He still doesn't know anything about horses, but he's going to do his best. And then Sancho and Don Quixote come into the presence of an innkeeper. And Don Quixote looks at him and sees not only a great lord of a great castle, but a generous landholder who is well known as a just and kind man. Now the innkeeper, who hasn't paid the kitchen staff or the livery stable people anything in quite some time, decides that he might try being a little more like what Don Quixote sees him as, and he pays, well, not all the wages that are owed, but most of them. And, you know, here his employees are like, blown away. They're like, hey, this guy's not so bad. And so the, the innkeeper decides he won't cheat the customers quite as much. He only puts a little water in the beer instead of like making it half watery. And then Don Quixote goes to the outrageous point of seeing him as the man who will dub him a knight. And the innkeeper agrees to do this because he's kind of enjoying being that guy who makes people into knights and great heroes. He's enjoying himself. Of course, if you are familiar with the musical The Man of La Mancha, you might be most familiar with the relationship between Quixote and Aldonza. Aldonza is the scullery maid who sells sex in order to survive, and she is brutalized regularly. Don Quixote sees her as a lady, as the Lady Dulcinea, the sweetest of ladies. This delusion is both a gift and a curse for Aldonza. She never really comes to be a lady, but she comes to be a woman who deserves dignity, and she sees that in herself, and she lives quite differently after Don Quixote leaves. Don, Aldonza has the most to lose of all the people that Don Quixote meets. She can lose that distance that she has between herself and the brutalities of being at the bottom of the social order. She can lose that sense that she just doesn't care, that, that wall between herself and that anguish. When you lose those things and become the person that Don Quixote sees, you're risking quite a bit. But this is what fuels me. 
this notion that seeing in ourselves, seeing in you the best of who we are, not the worst or the least, that's a risky thing. It takes courage. And once you do that, you don't go back. You don't want to go back to being that person who is less than you are, less than your best self. You know, we read the Fool's mission statement together, and I don't know if you noticed this line, but it's one of my favorites. We participate in shattering myths about those living in poverty, seeing the light, the courage, the intelligence, the strength, and the creativity of all the people we encounter. When we meet people, whether it's here in Palo Alto or in the Tenderloin or on a university campus, we don't look for the woundedness or the brokenness. <laughs> I, I believe you know this as well as I do. There are plenty of people around who will point out your weaknesses and your faults and the thing that you just did wrong. We don't need many more of those people in the world. No, we need to look for our better selves. We need to call upon our better selves on a regular basis. So like Don Quixote, we are fueled by a sense of adventure. After all, that's what knights of old used to do, go around adventuring, righting the wrongs wherever we can. But more than that, we are fueled by that call to be our better selves, the call for you to be your better self. Calling upon your better self makes it easier to do what needs to be done, and it's a lot easier to live well with those things that have yet to be done because they're never undone until we're at the end of our lives. I am fueled by Don Quixote. I carry Don Quixote with me to remind me to be my better self. And if you're at a picnic or a potluck with me and you catch a glimpse of him, remember, he's calling you to be your better self as well.